to the brave men and women who stood up for freedom, who answered the call and fought for our nation, who paid the ultimate price and never came back. To the American Kind of like to see you into the water. Well, good morning. It is great to see you. Welcome to First Baptist. And um, we want to start this Memorial Day with a video. And so let me encourage you to turn your attention to the screen. To the brave men and women who stood up for freedom, who answered the call and fought for our nation, who paid the ultimate price and never came back. To the American soldier, we thank you. To the mothers and fathers who raised a hero. To the brothers and sisters with an empty space. To the sons and daughters who have only memories. To the wives and husbands who bear the void with pride. To all who've lost a soldier they love, no gift could repay your sacrifice. No tribute could match our admiration. No word can contain our gratitude. But still, it deserves to be said, we remember you, we salute you, and we honor you today. Memorial Day, we want to remember those. One of my favorite stories, Jack Hayes, um, he was the father to um, Sandra Hayes, who's our financial secretary. During Vietnam, Jack was working on the, with airplanes, and he was on the tarmac as one of the pilots came out and shook Jack's hand and showed him a picture of his brand new baby boy. And Jack was staff sergeant, big if you knew Jack, um, he was typical military, and he'd tear up every time because the guy never came back. Um, and he always thought about him. And a couple years before Jack died, Sandra found that young man online, and Jack got to call him and tell him that he had talked to him about his, talked to his daddy about him right before he died. There's a sacrifice that our military makes, and, and we have freedom. Yes, we have freedom in Christ, whether you're in China or here. But there's a freedom that we have that no one else in the world has. Just read today, this morning, um, Korean family found with a Bible, North Korea, found with a Bible, 
with a two-month-old child and all three, mother, dad, and child, sentenced to life in prison because they had a Bible. Um, God has blessed us, and he's blessed us greatly. So would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that we get to live where we live. We thank you for the privilege we have of freely being able to worship you. And we know that the freedoms we enjoy were paid for. And so, God, I thank you for those men and women who have given their lives for our freedom. And we pray, God, for those families that you would comfort them today as they remember. I know they think about it every day, but especially on this day. Bless those families. And God, we pray for our veterans. We pray for our active duty military. We pray, Lord, that we would remember them on Veterans Day and not on this day. Watch over them and protect them. Jesus, we can't talk about giving up life without thanking you for the cross. And we thank you for that freedom because we know that in you we are free for freedom's sake. You've set us free. And God, we thank you that no matter where we live, if we're in Christ, we are free indeed. So bless and thank you, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you look in your worship guide, there are a couple things you need to see. One is next week we vote on our deacons, and their names are there. Please um, get ready to vote on that. Also, there's information about VBS. And not this coming Sunday, but the next, the second week of June, every year we, um, around VBS, have a combined service. It helps us with Sunday school or VBS set up. But we'll, we, on the second week, we will do that, and, um, and we will um, have a combined service in here. And we're going to have a time of worship and prayer and scripture and then come to the table together. And so you want to be a part of that. But we're glad you're here. We're going to stand up and welcome each other in just a moment. But if you're a part of Katie Ann or Isabella's um, family or friends and you want to come closer during the welcome time, why don't you come over? Just don't block the people in the front row, but come over a little closer so you can see and support them as we get ready to baptize. Let's stand up and greet one another. We're glad you're here. Eyes be swollen up like that. All right. You can be seated. It's always a great way to start our worship with baptism. Let me just remind you, baptism doesn't save us, but it is a testimony that we've been saved. And so I know Isabella's going to be baptized first. So if you're part of her family, sit up, get up close, and then I'll turn it over to Mark. Well, good morning. 
we are very excited whenever these baptismal waters are, are moving because it's a symbol and a, of, a, of life that has been changed and transformed. So we've got two coming this morning uh, in obedience of baptism, and we are very excited. Isabella, come on up. Her dad, Joe, is going to help us. He's going to hold you under longer than I am, I promise. Isabella, are you professing that Jesus Christ is your Lord? Yes. Well, it is my privilege to baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, buried in his likeness, raised to walk in newness of life. This is Katie Ann Truitt. Her father, Chuck, is going to come and help her today. And we are super excited for you as well. And are you professing that Jesus Christ is your Lord? Amen. It was my privilege to baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Buried in his likeness, raised to walk in your life. Amen. Isn't that a great way to start a day? Just challenge you right afterwards. If you've never been baptized after your salvation, I'll be over here at the end of the service and would love to talk to you about it. Y'all come on and, well, you're going to hug her no matter what I say. So y'all real quick group hug and then get back to your seats and um, the rest of you can go back to your seats. We are, we are really glad that you're here. We're going to pull up the call to worship. That'll be next. And um, super proud of them. They came up a couple of weeks ago and asked me about being baptized. I got them to talk to Mark. And, and so everything, we're, we're happy that, and, and thrilled that they're doing that. As they're finding their seats, you can look at the call to worship. It's a great reminder to us of why or who it is that we worship today. So would you read out loud with me? In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Above Him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two He covered His face, with two He covered His feet, and with two He flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. This is the word of the Lord. That's who we worship today, amen? So let's remember that. I know it's become, we have our scripture reading. I'll just remind you, um, the reason we got out of the um, rhythm of what we've been doing through the scripture is because last week was Ascension Sunday, the day we set aside to remember that Jesus ascended into heaven. Today is Pentecost Sunday. After so many days after Easter, Pentecost came. And so we're celebrating that, and Judge Miner's going to come and read and remind us of what happened on that day. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. 
And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you so much. Let's stand. Let's continue to worship. Before we come to Christ, each of us has a heart of stone, and we need the Lord Jesus Christ to call our name and to come to him. So we want to sing this song with just much passion because it is our story when we come to Christ.
with a hood that I could've helped Somebody with a hand that I could've held When I just can't see past myself Lord, help me be a little more like mercy pray that you would be working in us through your spirit that we would be more like Jesus Holy Spirit we, we pray that on this Pentecost Sunday as you fell down upon the disciples and filled them and started a brand new covenant that was initiated through Christ and the cross and the resurrection we no longer have to go to the temple we become the temple you dwell inside of us 
And so we will pray that you would fill us fresh. Lord, we know that your word says if we walk by your spirit, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So, Holy Spirit, we want to walk by your power today. And we know that you tell us that we're to be led by the Spirit, to be filled with the fruit of the Spirit, that by the Spirit we're to crucify the flesh. We're to live in the Spirit, with the Spirit. Just as we breathe air to live, we, Holy Spirit, confess we need you to live the life you've called us to live. And you tell us to keep in step with you, Holy Spirit. To march in line, to march in rank. Lord, I was thinking this week, if we we put on your armor and fight the good fight and we, we march as your army according to what you've called us to do, if we walk together long enough, we we begin to walk in the same cadence. We we walk together. And so if we walk with you, Holy Spirit, it should be that very soon we begin to walk like you walk and talk like you talk and do the things you do. So if that's not the case today, would you work in us, Holy Spirit? We invite you to come and move in us. Jesus, thank you for sending your Spirit. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. And we, as your disciples, want to live like you lived. And you lived a life empowered by the Holy Spirit. Father, we bless you and we praise you. We thank you that you are, as we saw earlier, a holy, holy, holy God. And as we look at this passage today, Holy Spirit, you led James to write it. It's one of those that it's a little confusing. And so we need you to open our eyes, to give us a spirit of wisdom and understanding. Even as Paul prayed in Ephesians, a spirit of wisdom and revelation, that we would understand your word. Illuminate our minds, Lord. Open our eyes and our hearts and our ears to receive your truth. And Lord, I pray that as we listen to your word, as we listen to it read, and then as I preach and we hear the word preached, may we quickly run to it, be quick to hear it. Quick to hear it and to be a doer of it. Let us apply it, I pray. Father, you've given us everything we need as it pertains to life and godliness. And so I ask that you would strengthen us today that we might, we might live in such a way, Jesus, that you're at home in us. We know that you're in us, but we want you to dwell, to settle down, to eat and drink with us, as you say in Revelation, that you would like us to open the door so that you can eat and drink and fellowship with us. So would you be at home in us today, we pray. You know our great needs. There are many. We continue to lift Myra to you and the family. Comfort them. God, we pray for Rita that you would bring healing to her. We thank you, Lord, for Keith and his recovery and he's back safely. Bless him. We pray for Scott Fields as he recovers from surgery. Dale Owens as he recovers in the home. We pray for Ray Johnson as he continues to, to battle and struggle. Just bless him and his family. 
You know the other needs we have. We lift them to you and ask that you'd be glorified. Bless now this time in your word we ask in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of James. James chapter 2. We've come to verse 14, James 2, 14, and, and we're going to read through verse 19. This section goes all the way through 26, but we just, unless you want to be here for a couple hours, we're going to have to break it into a couple of sermons. I didn't hear anybody say, go ahead and preach, so I'll just, <laughs> I'll keep it just like I planned. Um, if you're able to stand in honor in God's word, I invite you to do that. James chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, to them, excuse me, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one? You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You can be seated. On Friday morning, I was sitting outside I was following the kind of routine I've, I've developed, and, and I was reading Scripture and reading my Psalms, and then I was praying and doing some other things, and, and I began to meditate in, in the book of James again, just thinking through what we were going to look at today and thinking through some other things. And, and I've just discovered, for me, it's a lot easier to meditate when I'm writing um, and so, because my thoughts get so, um, they jump around and I'm thinking about the Lord and all of a sudden I'm thinking about roast beef. I mean, that's just, you know, it's just the way it works. And so if I'm writing, it helps. And so I was just writing and going through and I was thinking about James and what he says and what he's already said. And, and the Spirit just kind of showed me something that I missed in chapter one. And I think that we've got to look at it because If we understand what he says, especially in James chapter 1, verse 18 and verse 21, if we look at that, I think it helps us understand what I said last week, which I walked away feeling like it was just as clear as mud and and, and just didn't feel like I did it the way I needed to do it. And, 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 And the driving force of what James is saying here about faith and works and about works and all that we're supposed to do, I think we have to go back to chapter 1. And, and, and I went back, I, I always tread carefully because nobody else seems to see this. But as I looked at it, I thought, this has got to be what James is doing. If you look in verse 18 of chapter 1, the Bible tells us we are brought forth. And, and, and Nick, these, some of these verses won't be on the screen, so you can just wait. Um, I didn't plan this, and so this, I, I wrote some of this this morning. But... Um, that brought forth is, is a picture of him bringing us to be born again. And so God calls us to be born again. If you look at verse 18, by the word of truth. And we looked at that. The Spirit uses the word of truth to convict us and lead us so that we're born again. 
And then in verse 21, we're told that we are to receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now, Jesus is the Word. We know in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, John 1, 1 verse 1. But, and so there's a sense in which Jesus has been planted in us by his Holy Spirit. And we looked at also that the Word is implanted inside of us. So here's what I missed. If the Word is implanted in us, it's planted for one purpose. Paul's way ahead of me in planting his garden. I finally burned my burn pot, okay? Uh, it's, it's been there since Christmas. If you didn't see the video, in honor of Christmas, I mean, in honor of Pentecost Sunday, I set a fire that went 20 feet high. I mean, I burned a Christmas tree, and it was awesome. And, and so I finally got it burned. And so I'm going to till it up this next week, and, and, and maybe a couple weeks I'll plant it. And Paul will tell me I'm planting it too late. But, and, and so it won't be like his. But, but here's one thing I know. I don't know what all I'll plant, but I know I'll plant a row of purple whole peas because I like those. I don't like green beans. I'll plant those for Kim. And there's a couple other things I don't like, but I'll plant them. And when I plant those in that row, there's one purpose for putting that seed in that ground. I want purple whole peas with fried pork chops and cornbread. I want that. I want my thumb purple from shelling those holes and I want the peas in my stomach. I want, I want fruit. So why does God put his word inside of us? The reason that the word is implanted in us is so that we'll bear fruit for his glory. Not for our own glory, but for his glory. He plants it. It grows inside of us and bears fruit for his glory. Now, we don't have time to dig into the verses that, that I spent Friday morning thinking about bearing fruit, but, but I would just say, look at John 15. Jesus says, I'm the vine, the Father is the vine dresser, and he goes through it and he shows us that the one thing the vine dresser is in, in, in interested in as he, as he lifts up, as he prunes, as he cuts, as he does it, is fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is, is ours because the Spirit lives inside of us. And, and the Father wants that fruit coming out of us. And so if the Word's implanted in us, it bears fruit. If the Word's in us by the Father's will through the Spirit, we begin to grow through the Word that's in us and through the Word that we pour into us through reading the Scriptures and praying the Scriptures and memorizing them. The Word in us, through the Spirit, changes how we live. We're quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to become angry. We already saw that. But we're doers of the Word. We saw that. We're, we're not just hearers only. He, James said in chapter 1 and, and coming into chapter 2 that, that if the Word's inside of us, that the law becomes a law of liberty. It sets us free because the Spirit now shows us what pleases our Abba Father. And we want to please him. And so we, we become doers of the law of liberties to please our Father. It's planted inside of us. And we saw it then and we'll see it again in the next couple of weeks. Because of that, we bridle our tongues. We speak differently. I, I've been praying. I mentioned sarcasm um, several weeks ago. And, and, and man, I, I struggle. Sometimes y'all sometimes just lay it out there like a softball. I could just step through with the sarcasm. I'm, going, I'm biting my tongue. I'm biting into my, inside of my cheek, trying to work. God set a guard over my mouth. 
trying to learn. And Kim can tell you I'm better, but I'm not there yet. And, I, and I'm not going to let her say amen. But we understand um, if the Spirit's inside of us, is, if it's implanted in us that, that we bridle our tongues, we, we take care of the least of these. We saw that in James. We'll see it again today. We keep ourselves unstained from the world. It changes how we live. It changes how we treat others. You remember what he said last week? If, if, if the word's inside of us, we don't show favoritism. How crazy is it to show favoritism when Jesus is the all-glorious one? If I look at Jesus and see him as all-glorious, chapter 2, verse 1, when, when I look at him and see he's the glorious one, then I don't treat people with favoritism because I realize that he loves us all and that we're created in his image and that image is marred and what they need is salvation. And so it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, black or white, brown or yellow, whatever color you are, it doesn't matter because we understand that we're all the same, that the cross is level and we have to come through the cross to be saved. And Jesus is the all-glorious one. He's the one we make much of, not the rich brother or the poor brother or anyone else. It changes how we treat one another. We, we love our neighbors. We love ourselves. And the word begins to bear fruit. Now, let's remember on this Pentecost Sunday that the word bears fruit only because the Holy Spirit's now inside of us producing it. The Spirit's working in us to, um, to will and to act according to his good pleasures. God is the, the great shepherd in Hebrews is working in us that which is pleasing to him. We, we, we do it that we, we're filled with the knowledge of his will so that we can walk in a manner worthy of him, fully pleasing to him in Ephesians. So the word works through us and it begins to produce abundance in us. And, and, and the spirit is doing that, living. Jesus has sent his spirit inside of us and the spirit of Jesus now is coming out. Saving faith comes from the work of the Father through his word. That's how we're saved. We grow in holiness as the word's implanted in us through the spirit and the work of the spirit. James is going to drive this home now. The work of the spirit produces fruit. The fruit is only possible because he's in us. And so I don't want you to walk away from any of this thinking, I just got to pull myself up by my bootstraps and work harder. You can't do it. You will fail if you do it in your own power. You'll make some progress, but you'll fall. So you have to let the Holy Spirit begin to lead you and guide you and strengthen you. As we turn to our text, the one I just read, without a doubt, it's, it's the hardest one in James, okay? This is the reason that expository preachers skip the book of James as long as they can, okay? It's not because it's kind of like Hebrews and Melchizedek. Nobody wants to deal with that or Revelation. Now, it's not because James, what he says, is hard to understand. But we've all been, we've all been discipled in the theology of the Apostle Paul. And we know Reformation truth. And we know that from the scriptures in Romans and Galatians and Ephesians that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for his glory alone. We know that it's not by works that any of us could boast, but it is by grace that we're saved through faith. And this is not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. 
We know that truth and it's driven in. And so then we come to, to James and, and Nick, here's where the scripture picks up on the outline. Look at what James says in verse 24. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. What? That wouldn't be so difficult if we didn't know what Paul said a few years later in Romans 3.28, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. So James says we're justified by works and not faith alone. And Paul says we're justified by faith apart from works of the law. So does the Bible contradict itself as many people accuse? Paul drives that home, as I said, in, in, in Romans 4, Galatians 3, Ephesians 2, he drives it home. Does the Bible contradict itself? How do we deal with this? How do we deal with James saying that you're justified by faith apart from works and, 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 and Paul saying you're justified or Paul saying justified by faith apart from works and James saying justified by works and not by faith alone? Here's what I want you to see. And I think this is helpful. Paul and James are not face-to-face fighting each other. That's not what's happening. They're standing back-to-back fighting separate enemies. And if you can get this, I think we can begin to see what James is saying. Paul in Romans and Galatians, Ephesians, Paul deals with how we come to Christ. He deals with the time before we're converted. He's saying, this is how you're saved. And James would agree with Paul that you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone for his glory alone. You're not saved by works. Paul would say that, and James, I think, would also say that. But James is not dealing with people before they're converted. He's dealing with people who say they're already converted, And he's dealing specifically with those who say that they're saved and they don't have to do anything as a result. So Paul and James are fighting back to back against separate enemies. Paul fights those who say you have to work to earn your salvation. And James fights those who say you don't have to do anything once you're saved. Kind of that old Baptist idea, once saved, always saved. Said the prayer, I'm good. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that if you're saved, you'll persevere to the end. That's not your works, it's the Holy Spirit who works in you. But if you're saved, you will continue. Yes, you'll fall, yes, you'll sin. But you'll continue to be sanctified until he glorifies you. And the scripture teaches that clearly. So Paul and James are fighting two different enemies. And so let's get that down and, and then I think this all makes sense. Let me show you. First, he starts with two rhetorical questions. Two rhetorical questions, both in the same verse, the first verse. What good is it, my brothers? What good is it, my sisters? If someone says he has faith but does not have works. So let's start there. What good is it? The implied answer is it's no good. The implied answer is it does nothing. Look at that word good there. Good is, it's only used three times in the New Testament. It's used here, it's used in verse 16. And then it's used in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 32, this particular word for good. And that's helpful to us because Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 32, what do I gain? That's the same word that he says, what good is it? What do I gain if humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus. If the dead are not raised, let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. 
So when you go back to what good is it, my brother, in James, you could say, what do I gain, my brothers? What do I gain if someone says I have faith but doesn't have works? And the answer is you gain nothing. What good is it? It is of no good. A key to understanding this is, is Nick, if you can pull that verse back up, verse 24, the, 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 or the, verse 14, the key to this is if someone says. Just because, I use this, and it, it hit me um, this morning in the first service. And so let's say I'm selling a car and, or, or buying a house from you, and, and you, we, we agree on the price, and I say, look, um, I'm just going to, I've got the money at home. Okay, I've got it. You got to trust me. I've got the money. So I'm just going to take the car and go get the money and I'll bring it back to you. Just because I say I have the money doesn't mean I have the money. And just because I say I have faith doesn't mean I have faith. If someone says he has faith, sometimes the way we use the word faith is not the way the Bible uses the word faith. Sometimes when we talk about I have faith in God, what we mean is I have wishful thinking. I hope so. I hope it'll turn out. I hope I'll go to heaven. But when the Bible talks about it, I was reading um, A.W. Tozer's book, and at the end he says, you know, it's interesting that, that the Bible doesn't define faith except from one place. It's in Hebrews. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. And what the Bible does do is, is it shows us examples of faith all the way through. And here's what we see is that in the Bible, faith is total trust. It's not wishful thinking, it's trust. I, I've shared this with you before, but every one of you showed your faith by sitting in that chair. You... You didn't feel it out and, and make sure it was good. I told you before that we had some guys who did that when we first brought these chairs. Big Josh Money and Matt Mosley and Tad, Chad Tidwell said, you sit in it first. They were all afraid it was going to break because of that mesh. But the truth of the matter is you come to that chair, you sit down, you put your full weight in it. You trust it. You do that every time you go to the pharmacy and get pills and take them. You don't know what's in it. You're just trusting your doctor and you're trusting the pharmacist to give you the right thing. You're trusting it wholeheartedly. When you come to Christ, you trust in what he did on the cross as being good enough for your salvation. You trust and put your weight in that. You trust in him. And so he says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone has faith but doesn't save them? And that is, it's no good. It's a negative answer. But then he asked a second rhetorical question. Look at it right at the end on the screen there. Can that faith save him? Now, two extremes with that last little phrase, can that faith save him? One extreme is, well, faith doesn't save. It doesn't save. And, and the Bible goes against that. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. Faith does save when it's placed in the right place and when it's done with trust. So one extreme is to say, well, faith just doesn't save. But the other extreme is to say, well, you can have faith, but you don't have to have works. And that's what James is attacking. He's saying that works will follow if you're saved. He's coming after the idea that you can be saved without fruit. He's coming after that. 
So he asks two rhetorical questions, and then he, he gives us four illustrations. Now, I understand that some of you, you're freaking out a little bit because I say four illustrations, and there's only point A and point B. And some of you are going to come up to me afterwards and say, hey, I missed C and D. I'm not going to give you C and D today, okay? But I, I thought maybe I'd have time, and I didn't And when I was writing it out and looking at it. So he gives us four illustrations to back up this point that faith without works doesn't save. So let's look at what he says. First of all, he comes to the needy man. The needy man. Verse 2. If a brother or, if a brother or sister he, he brought this up in chapter 2, verse 2, and now he comes back in, 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 um, in verse 15 and 16. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food. So let's stop right there for a second. Poorly clothed could mean naked. They have no clothes. But most likely it means they have on just in their day the inner, inner linen. They would wear linen on the inside like we wear undergarments, and they wear a robe on the outside. And so most people believe that they would come into the building dressed only in the inner cloth. cloth. It's it's the idea of being dressed in rags. I never really understood this until I went into some of the poor places in this world. We'll, We'll be in Tanzania in a couple weeks. And where we go, there will always be schools, and in those schools, you'll have hundreds of children, and the children always wear the same. It's either blue shorts and pink shirts or, or tan khaki shorts and different color shirts, and they all dress the same in the different schools that they're a part of. And you can quickly see the children who come out of extreme poverty. Their, their clothes are torn sometimes to the point that they have no undergarments, and, and they're their backsides hanging out, their, 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 their clothes are ripped and tattered and they're dirty. And James is picturing someone like this who's, who's dressed in rags. And then that idea of daily food could be they don't have enough food for the day. But most believe that what they're saying is they, that they're habitually without daily food. They're hungry. How does faith respond to someone who's dressed in rags? How does faith respond to someone who has no food? Look at what James says. And one of you says to them, says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled. Now that go in peace is a biblical blessing. Go in peace, brother. Be warmed and filled. They're hungry. Their clothes are torn. I'm, it's, it's Baptist for, hey, I'm praying for you. Don't say that unless you do it. Don't lie. I've learned something. If Priscilla came to me right after the service that I really need you to pray for something. Typically, what I want to do is pray for them immediately, right there. I'm going to do that. And then when I get back, I try to write it down and keep praying for it. And, 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 and so just don't use religious words for people's needs. It's, it's looking at a person that doesn't have a job and say, well, just hang in there, brother. God's going to provide. Pat, pat. Or someone with a need. Take it easy now. I'm thinking about you. I could go on and on. James says, 
You say these things without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? The answer again implied is it's no good. It's not good for you, and it's not good for them. It's not good for the church. John really hits this. He's the, the son of Zebedee, wrote the gospel. He also wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and Revelation. But in 1st John, he wrote these words, chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. But if any of you has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. That's the point James is making here. Just leave it up there for a moment, Nick, because that, that's the point he's making. He's saying, you see that brother in, in raggedy clothes, and you've got clothes at home that you don't wear. How dare you say, go be warm, and not clothe them? Or you see that brother who's hungry, and you've got extra money in your pocket, and you can feed them. Don't say, be well fed. Feed them. He's not just talking about these social areas here. He's using it as an example to say that if you have faith, it changes the way you live. Not just with needy people, but with every person. It changes who we are. Don't cover it up with religious talk. Faith without works is dead. He sums it up in verse 17 here. So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Notice something. We'll see it next week. It's dead in verse 17. It's useless in verse 20. And then he comes back again in verse 26 and he says it's dead. So twice he calls this kind of faith dead and once useless. True faith changes the way we live. The implanted word of chapter 1 bears fruit. It bears fruit in our life because the Spirit's inside of us and He changes us. The second illustration comes in verses 18 and 19. And here James introduces an objector. Someone who comes in and objects. Now, if you've ever written a speech or, or you've written a Sunday school lesson or, or you've written a Bible study or a sermon, you know that when you're writing it sometimes, I know so-and-so is going to say this if I say this. You know they're going to come up to you after church and say, well, what about this or what about that? And so James knows that when he says what he just said in our verses that we just saw about the needy person, he knows that someone's going to come up and object. So he introduces what most people agree is an imaginary person. But someone will say, that's the verse, but someone will say, and, and, he's, and most agree that James is probably not talking about someone literal, Maybe he is, but, but most likely just an, an objector that he introduces. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. And I think what James is saying here, and a lot of people said this, is, is that they treat faith and works like we treat spiritual gifts. If someone comes to you and talks to you about sharing your faith, there are those who will say, hey, you've got the gift of evangelism. I've got the gift of service. You be you, and I'll be me. 
And we think that way in terms of spiritual gifts, but we also think of it in terms of doing these type of works. I'm just not gifted like that, someone would say. And we look at it as a spiritual gift, but faith is a spiritual gift. We see that in in Corinthians and Romans, but, but this is faith that saves us. This is the faith, not a gift, but the faith that we must have to be saved. And, and he comes back. If you look at it, James comes back and says, show me your faith apart from your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. How else can you show your faith? How else can the world know that you really believe what you say you believe? Unless we live it. Unless it comes out of us. And that's what he's saying, that faith, faith comes out from our salvation. Faith produces something that transforms us, and the result is work. Hear me. You don't work to be saved. That's faith. But once you're saved by faith, works flow. There's a difference in what I just said. We're not saved by works, but works come after we're saved because the Spirit lives inside of us. We're not saved by works, but the faith that saves always comes with work. And that's why James says, I'll show you my faith by my works. I'll say it again. The world's not interested in what we say we believe. It's interested in how we live differently than them. How the gospel gives us hope. How the gospel moves in our life to love our enemies. That's what they're interested in. James shocks us all and he says, you want proof of what I'm saying? He says, you believe that God is one? Let me just stop there. Who's he writing to? Jewish Christians. Three times a day, those good Jewish Christians and good Jewish people would say, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. Shema Israel. And he goes through and he quotes it. I, Betty, I've, I've lost the Hebrew part of that. Betty can tell you. She'll remember. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. They know that. And James says to Jewish Christians, you believe that God is one? Good. Of course they believe God is one. It's the, it's the intro to orthodoxy. But James says, you do well to believe God is one. Even demons believe. And they shudder. Wow. The demons know God is one. The demons know that there's a trinity. The demons know who Jesus is, was, and will, and, and is always going to be. When Jesus showed up on the scene, the demons said, hey, we know who you are. You're the son of God. What are you going to do to us? They knew who Jesus was. Why? Because they hadn't always been fallen angels. The demons used to worship at the throne. But with Satan, they fell. They know that truth. They know and believe all the orthodox things. But they don't come to God. They don't respond in faith. And they don't get saved. Do you need proof? James says, they shudder. That word shudder is is always connected with a response or a reaction to encountering the supernatural. 
What does John do when he sees the angel? He falls down and the angel says, don't do that. I'm, get up. That's Ezekiel, Isaiah. When they see God, they, when they experience the supernatural, they fall. They shudder. Demons aren't saved. Demons don't turn to God. But they believe that God is one. He says, here's all the, faith, all the evidence you need that faith without works doesn't save. We're going to look at Abraham and Rahab next week. But I want to remind you as we close that God saves you totally by grace. You didn't earn it. You can't pay for it. You can't deserve it. It's all by grace, by grace alone, through faith alone. We are saved by grace through faith, Ephesians 2.8. God saves you by his word of truth, and then he implants his word in you. And through the Holy Spirit, you live the life you're called to live. The implanted word will bear fruit. And that's what he's saying. If you're saved, fruit will come. Now understand this, I'm not a fruit inspector. I'm not a fruit inspector. You may, I always get in trouble here because I'm getting out of my notes. You may say bull and use the word rap with a C. And someone may come up to Kim and hear me say that. And say, I can't believe my pastor said that word. And Kim says, it took me 30 years to get him to say that. <laughs> now, that didn't happen to me. That happened to Roosevelt, our president. He said, sometimes you don't know the fruit. You don't know the fruit that person has. But there's fruit. So don't walk around inspecting fruit. But you ought to see fruit in a person's life. Sooner or later, if we're around someone long enough, there ought to be some fruit. Your fruit may be more visible than mine. My fruit may be more visible than yours. But here's what I know. When the Spirit comes inside of us, when we're saved, brought forth by the word of truth, transformation happens. Whoever is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, the new is gone. I was dead. I was dead, but Christ brought me to life through his resurrection. And fruit comes through it for the glory of who? God. So let me ask you to bow your heads for a moment. James, Paul, John, Jesus, every New Testament writer, they talk about the same thing. They talk about transformation. They talk about fruit that comes as a result of that transformation. All I'm asking you today is to search your heart, to ask the Spirit to search you. And I'll give you these examples one more time because they help me. Search your words. Are they glorifying God? Search your eyes. Are you looking at things that bring God glory? Search your ears. What are you listening to? What's, your, what's feeding you right now? 
Search your mind. What do you think about? Ask the Holy Spirit to show you if there's any sin inside of you. Confess that sin. Admit it's wrong. Repent of that sin. Turn away. You may have to turn away from it 10 million times. Who knows? 10 million and one will be the time that you're done. Just keep turning to God. Looking at Jesus, the all-glorious one, and worshiping him. If God's laid something on your heart today that you know is sin and you need to deal with it, deal with it. Get accountability. Get help. Use one of your ministers here. Use your Sunday school teacher or a friend or your spouse. Find help. Come to Christ and walk in the Spirit. If you need to come and pray, we'll give you a chance to do that. If you need to pray with me or Tim or Mark or someone else, we'll give you a chance to do that. We just want you to be faithful to what God's calling you to do. So would you ask him this question? Lord Jesus, what would you have me do right now? That's all we can ask, Lord, that we would be obedient for this moment. Whatever it is you're calling us to do, let us do that, I pray in Jesus' name. Let's stand and sing. If you need me, I'm going to be right down here.
be seated. Let's just keep praying, though, just for a moment. I don't know about you, but those times that I thought God was not being faithful was when he was being the most faithful. Sometimes what God has to do in our life, Tozer said it, and I read it the other day, is, it's like pulling a tooth from a jaw. It's never pleasant. But when the tooth hurts, you want it gone. And sometimes we don't know what we need removed needs to be removed, but God does. So we trust Him. We trust Him. So let me just ask you one more time as you pray. Would you just ask the Lord? This is something I'm praying every morning. Would you ask the Lord right now? God, would you set a guard over my mouth? Set a guard over my eyes. Set a guard over my ears. Over my heart. God, would you set a guard over us? We want to be holy. As I prayed earlier, we want to walk in your spirit so that we do not gratify the desires of the flesh. So help us that day, Lord, today, this week, to set no worthless thing before us. But may the word of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable and pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. We praise you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, a couple ways you join our church. One, if you've never been baptized, then you get baptized like we saw this morning. And when you do that, you profess faith in Christ, you're baptized as a testimony of what God's done in your life, and then you join our church that way. If you have been saved, but maybe not baptized like this, okay, maybe you were sprinkled or something else, we require that you get baptized by immersion because we believe that's what Scripture teaches. And every time we find baptism in the New Testament, they're baptized by immersion. That word literally means to go under. So you can join our church by being saved and getting baptized or having already been saved, getting baptized as a testimony to your belief in what the Scriptures teaches. Or you can come from another church, for example, a Southern Baptist church or a non-Southern Baptist church, and you can join our church. You've been saved. You've been baptized. Um, Lamar and Tracy, would you come up with me? This is Lamar and Tracy Booth. Um, you met um, uh, Tracy's son, stepson, um, Austin. He, he joined a grill a couple weeks ago and joined the church. And so they're coming to join our church by um, by statement, I think. Is that right? Um, by statement. I don't have my glasses. so um, But they're coming. We talked the other day. One of the things we ask you to do if you join our church is come see me. I just want to get to know you. I want to talk about your salvation and hear your story and then give you a chance to ask me questions and I ask you questions. So they did that this past week and we spent some time together and they come in to join our church. So if you welcome them, would you just let it be saying amen or applaud whatever you want to do? We're thrilled they're coming. And so um, come by and see them and greet them and let them know how happy you are that they're joining our church. We're glad you're here. I'm going to be right over here by the baptism pool if you have any questions by it, about it or guests. If you just want to come by and introduce yourself, I'd love to meet you. For the rest of you, we have to put up all the chairs, but we also have to meet our new guests. So please do that. And would you just bow your heads real quick and, and let's, let's just close with this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And before, before you leave, 
I'll be in trouble if I don't do this. I've got to do this. So y'all want to sit down just for a second. Let me say to you, what I'm about to read is coming from Sandra Frost. Um, Sometimes you start reading these letters and everybody gets nervous about who it is. But Sandra Frost, our financial secretary, said, It is with a mixture of joy and sadness that I offer my resignation effective December 31st, 2023. I realize it's a seven-month notice, but when I knew for sure, I knew. I believe God led me to this job as as I was not looking for work when the education secretary job came open. It's never, it, it has been a joy at First Baptist. I don't think I ever considered it a job, but a ministry. And I'm thankful to have served you. And um, thank you, she says, Sandra Frost. And so she's resigning at the end. Of, Fred has retired. And people kept asking, hey, what are you going to do now that Fred's retired? And she said, I can't keep lying. I've got to tell people. So she's offering her resignation. If you're interested in a position, a financial secretary, if you have that ability. We're not going to hire to the end of the year because Sandra's going to continue to work. But if you're interested, you can see one of us and we can tell you more about it. Now, if y'all will come back up and stand, I'll be right over here. God bless you. Thank you so much. Let Sandra know how much you appreciate her.